together. Welcome Pastor Mark here today. FaceTime with our partner in Myanmar, Peter. We're going to give him a huge Christmas blessing. Hey, we're outside the Smith Boys Home at Rawhide, and we're going to be giving Transact Hope our local missions donation. We're so glad to be able to partner with them. We love what you're doing for your Christmas outreach, and on behalf of everyone at Celebration Church, we wanted to present this to you to help you out with your outreach this year at Christmas in Myanmar. I'm with Ed and Patty Deadman. They run the Smith home here at uh, Rawhide. And just on behalf of Celebration Church, we want to give you this check. Really thank you and tell, please tell uh, all the staff and all the church members and all the elders, thank you, thank you so much. We're grateful for the support. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Oh, that's awesome. What a blessing. What a blessing. Thank you, guys. Sure. Appreciate you guys so much. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. And again, over to our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point, and those who watch us all around northern Wisconsin on television, and the big group of people that watch us all over the world on the internet. Good morning to all of you. And Merry Christmas. This is our Legacy Sunday. Uh, we've been talking about this for the last month. Uh, setting aside a special day where we are going to come and bring a special offering to raise money to be able to affect people's lives all over the world 
with the message of Jesus Christ. Many of those things you saw on the video preceding my talk this morning, uh, highlighting some of the people that we have touched, and we're going to continue to reach out and uh, affect people with the kingdom of God. Um, this morning I want to read to you from Matthew, the second chapter, <clears throat> part of the uh, Christmas uh, recording. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi. Now these are the wise men who came from the east. They came to Jerusalem. And we got to Jerusalem, they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, we don't know anything about these guys. These are men from the east. Where in the east? I don't know. Nobody knows. But, uh, Likely, and how did they even know about the coming Messiah? Now, Bible scholars believe this is because when uh, Israel was in captivity, Babylonian captivity, this is when Daniel, remember the account of Daniel in the lion's den, all that? Daniel was a highly esteemed man in uh, Babylon at that time uh, and righteously stood for uh, the true God of heaven. And recorded his prophecies and he spoke very specifically about the time frame in which we could expect the Messiah. So while the Jews themselves weren't paying attention, these guys from the East who were not Jewish, of not of the faith, they were paying attention. And uh, so they were kind of aware, boy, this is about the ballpark of time that this should be happening. And they noticed this star. Clearly they were astrologers. Very interesting because it's something that is forbidden for people of faith to be looking at stars and stuff. Don't be getting into astrology or any such nonsense. We aren't supposed to be doing that. But they did. Again, they weren't of faith. And something from this, they saw this star, they saw a sign. So they set out on this very long journey. Remember, they didn't hop in planes to get to where they needed to go or buses or any such thing. They pretty much traveled by foot, camel, whatever. Uh, to get to where they needed to go. So they set out on this journey. They finally get to Jerusalem and said, where is he? Where's the king of the Jews? Now, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So now we don't know how many guys were in this caravan. We always say three because the song says, we three kings of Orient are. And as we all know, we should get our theology from songs. So uh, that's just the song. We have no stinking idea how many there were. There could have been a whole gaggle of them for all we know. Uh, but when they came into town, it was rather impressive. Do, 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 do. These guys coming in with the camels and these, you know, wise men and all these gifts. They were loaded for bear. I'll talk about that more in just a second. But they came into Jerusalem. Well, who are these cats? And so to speaking of the king, well, they all kind of got, you know, what do you mean? <clears throat> so uh, when Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And shockingly to me, I mean, they knew exactly where he was going to be born. This wasn't any mystery. All of this was foretold. But they're not paying attention. They're too busy going to church. Too busy being religious. Oh, I can't do anything nice. I gotta be religious. It's like the story of the Good Samaritan. This guy's laying on the side of the road, injured. The priests and the religious people, they walk right by him. They had to get to service. Praise the Lord. Okay. 
Can't help people. Got to be nice. I got to go love God. You know, it becomes hypocrisy and phoniness. That's why it's good to be challenged from time to time to remember to look outward why we're doing this legacy offering. This isn't for in here. This is for out there. Anyway, these guys knew where the child was to be born, and they quoted from the uh, Old Testament in Bethlehem in Judea, for it is written, uh, this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they knew. Did they do anything about it? No. Stunning to me. You would have thought these religious guys, knowing the prophecies of Daniel and knowing these guys were saying and knowing where he's going to be born would have at least sent a small delegation. You know, has this happened? But they couldn't be bothered to be interrupted with their religious expressions. Something we always got to remind ourselves. Don't be so religious. You're no, worthly, you're no earthly good. Somebody say amen. All right. So anyway, Herod calls the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem. And he says, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, let me know. I want to get in on this too and come and worship him. Well, he's lying through his teeth. Herod was a, a narcissistic psychopath. And he, like many kings, uh, they would routinely kill anybody they got so much as a whiff of a possible threat from, including their own children or spouses. They would have them killed. They were all nuts, these people. Well, Herod was worse than average, and he was really bad and often up people, off and off people all the time. And he wanted to find out where this child, identify this chosen one, if you would, because he had every intention of killing him. And uh, we won't read this morning, but as many of you know, what happens later is Herod sends uh, a, a garrison in and tells them, I want you to kill every boy uh, in the uh, city of Bethlehem, two years old and under. Uh, now, he was probably being very broad. Uh, sometimes people say, well, maybe Jesus was about two years old at that time. I don't think that's very likely. I think he's probably just months old. He's still in Bethlehem because they have to get counted. I don't know how long the census took. But they're not from Bethlehem, remember. They're from Nazareth. And I'm sure if things would have been totally settled, they would have worked their way back to Nazareth. But they're still in Bethlehem. So, but he thought, you know, just cover bases. Let's not just go a year. Let's add another year. So these soldiers come in, and you can only imagine in your most horrified thoughts the nightmare of these parents as these guys come into town, and they grab every little boy. Two years, and I'm sure it wasn't like they looked at their birth certificates. I mean, it's just any little kid that was anywhere in that ballpark range, whether he was or not, would take it and slit his throat and disembowel. I mean, a horrible, horrifying thing. And they have no, no idea why. It's one thing when somebody comes in and you know why, if it's an enemy or something, but here comes this group from King Herod. Herod himself is of Jewish origin. And they just start killing all these boys and, and no one tells them why, what, what's going on. It, it had to be one of the most horrific events uh, that anyone could ever imagine or experience. And... He did this because he was so paranoid of anything that could be a threat to him. So anyway, after they heard the king, these wise men, these magi, whatever you want to call them, went on their way. And 
uh, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So they saw the star. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house. Now, remember, he was born in a stable. So now we're at the house. So I know that whenever we talk about the Christmas story and you see it portrayed and the children do their little Christmas things, you have the shepherds and the wise men and stuff. Well, the wise men didn't come the night of the birth. This is a little bit later, uh, months later. Uh, in theory, it could have been up to two years later, but I think it's more likely months. Uh, and they, at this time, they've relocated now to a house. They didn't stay in the barn permanently. Okay, They finally found a house, and they were there. So these guys come, and they are thrilled, overjoyed. Coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now this has got to be stunning to Joseph and Mary. First of all, just processing everything that's happening has got to, can you imagine all this is that's happening to them? And all, this, all, all these events, and trying to explain it, and trying to process it. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes doo, 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 doo. these guys come walking in and these wise men fall down and they start worshiping this child. Very uh, strange behavior, certainly from a Western point of view. Uh, you know, there, we wouldn't have had wise men from the West. I, I don't think we have any. But uh, had we had any, very unlikely we would have bowed down and worshiped because we're from the West. We're Americans, you know, we, you know. Uh, we'd have walked in and said, well, what's this? He's still pooping his pants, you know. Call me when he accomplishes something. We'll be back, right? Because that's the way we think. In Western culture, you've got to earn respect. On Eastern culture, they understand you are given respect based on who you are, something that still Christians struggle with to this day. They don't want to respect their pastor because they like what he does. They want to respect politicians because they don't like what he does. Yeah, and that's not the way it should be. Now, we live in a democracy. We can whine about what they do or don't do, but we should not be disrespectful. We need to show respect. Tough for us. It really is. It's just hardwired in us. So some of y'all jump from church to church to church out there in internet world because no one can ever earn enough respect for you and you're arrogant and you're being a pinhead. That's not the way you should be. So even to this day, in Eastern Christian worship, songs are often filled with praising God for who he is, where in, to this day, even in Western culture, we still praise God for what he's done, you see. We're still all about what you do and what you don't do. And while it's important to do and don't do, <laughs> uh, this, all of this is based on who you are. It's why so many women in Western culture struggle with the Bible verses that say a woman should respect her husband. <laughs> I don't want to respect him. He's an idiot. I don't like the way he does. You know, na, 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 buttercup. Why should I respect? Just because God says so, because he's just your husband, that's all. What does it mean? I don't know. Work it through, but don't be disrespectful. And it's a problem. It's a problem for us. I mean, we've got to admit, we have a problem in this country respecting people. Ever since 200 years ago, we took guns and shot people in the head because we didn't like the king. All right? Thank God for America. It's a wonderful place, but we got our issues. All right. So anyway... These guys come, and they're worshiping him. And, you know, wow, he's bowing down to this baby. She's got to, what is going on? And then it says, and they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, whenever we see the Christmas story, we see them bringing a chest. And they open up the little chest, and there's a gold Rolex in there. And, and there's some smelly stuff from Beth, Bed Bath and Beyond. And all of this is here. And we think, oh, what a wonderful. 
no, 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 no. These guys are coming a very long distance to pay tribute to a king. When they came with gold, which you can imagine how uh, valuable it is, and to this day valuable, frankincense and myrrh, not so much to us today, but then it was huge currency. They came loaded for bear. Just to give you an example, when the queen of Sheba came to King Solomon, the Bible says, just out of respect, she brought him a gift. The gift was 125 talents of gold. Now, that's not pieces of gold. Okay, a talent, because we don't understand because of the terminology, a talent was 75 pounds. So you take uh, 75 pounds of gold times, and there's 14.5 troy ounces of, of uh, in a bar of gold, a pound of gold, times $1,248, the current price of gold. You add it up, it's in excess of $150 million. That was the gift to King Solomon. Here you go. Now, I don't think they got loaded with $150 million, but whatever it was, I guarantee to you, this family was set for life. Before they left that house in Bethlehem, they were in a situation they would never want for anything. You think God Almighty kind of taking care of things here for them. So they came, they were loaded for bear, and they opened up the checkbook, and holy stinking cow, look at this. And when they went into Egypt to hide from Herod, as the angel eventually told him, and eventually came back uh, to Nazareth, and Jesus grew up as a young man in Nazareth till the time of 30 when he started his ministry. Even, and he worked and stuff like that, but I promise you, this was a taken care of family. They had no issues. They weren't worrying about rent or making car payments, all right? They were set for life from this moment on. Very impressive. So anyway, these guys, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All right, so these guys came, and when they came, their gift cost them something. Uh, now, they were probably extremely wealthy men in the first place, or they wouldn't be making this trip. But when they gave, it stung a little bit. I'm sure they didn't give away everything they had. I'm sure they didn't destroy their lives. But there was a sting to it as they came and offered this financial tribute to the king of kings that was born on that day. Now, today we're talking about our legacy offering, which we're going to be taking at the end of the service. And we've been asking you for the last month, think about it, pray about it, be intentional about it, invest in eternity. And come with a special offering. I hope that you've all come with a special offering. If not, start calculating in your little brain as I continue to speak. Talk to your spouse, <laughs> whatever you got to do. Uh, but we want to do a special offering today. And I'm asking people, when you do this today, it should sting a little. If what you give in this offering, this next, that's coming up, if it doesn't sting a little, you're not doing this right. All right? Now, we're not asking you to destroy your life or put your family in jeopardy or any such thing. But you know what it is to give, and it's no big deal, and you give an ouch. You should have a little bit of ouch to it, just like these wise men experienced when they came and gave their gift. We read about uh, a giving situation in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel. This is about King David. King David, David and Goliath. You remember this is the guy who killed the big Goliath guy. He's the one who wrote so many of those psalms that we read and sing. And he's king. He's a great king. He's an amazing king. And, uh, you know, to this day, they celebrate 
David in Jewish uh, culture. Jerusalem is the city of David. Uh, of course, Bethlehem is, is where David was uh, historically from. That's why Jesus was born in, uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, and the big thing, when Jesus went around, they all shouted, you know, you know, Son of, or, uh, son of David, son of David. They, they understood that he was from that lineage of David. They treated Jesus special, even in that context, because he came from this lineage. It was a big deal. David was like the rock star of the day. He was an incredibly popular king and an amazing fighter. This guy was no girly man. You know, I always see these movies of David, and they got Richard Gere or some other wuss, you know, portraying, you know. Man, David, he was more like Arnold Schwarzenegger of the day. He killed everyone. I mean, he was <laughs> with unbelievable odds against him. What, you young guys, you know, I know you don't like to read stuff and you're going to read all the, a lot of this, but you want to read David because it's highly entertaining if you're a young guy. You want to read, even old guys, you want to read this stuff because he was a fighting machine. And the odds they went on and how they conquered, it was unreal. One time we read one account where David's going on and a bunch of the enemies up on this cliff and they're all going, you know, yelling at him and they're throwing stuff at him. And David, he got ticked, so he decides to climb up the cliff. I wouldn't climb up the cliff. I'll catch you someday, you know, run, you know. But I mean, so he's climbing. Now, this isn't the Princess Bride movie, okay? Where the guy's climbing and you're waiting for him, you know. Is there anything I can do to help you come up, you know. And, and uh, he's waiting and waiting. I'm sure when he's climbing up, they're throwing rocks at him. They're doing everything, throwing spears at him, trying to shoot him. They hate this guy. And he's coming at him. And they're trying to, and David's like, hey, oh, and he climbs all the way up there, gets up there, and kills them all. One guy. He was a serious butt kicker. <laughs> Highly entertaining. All right. So anyway, we read about David. Uh, they were in a crisis situation. There was this plague that was knocking off. At this point, 70,000 people had died from this plague. And this prophet comes to David and says, man, you got to get this right. And you need to go and pray and sacrifice to, to God to, to stop this plague. We read about it. It says, on that day, Gad, who was the, the prophet, goes to David and says to them, you need to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna, whatever his name is, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And when this guy looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, this Arana, I'm going to try and skip his name because I can't say it. Well, he went out and he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. This dude is excited. This is David. He is the rock star of the day. These people love this man. They were overcome. He's the king and he bows down and he gets up to, and he says to David, let my lord the king Oh, wait, wait, I skipped. Why is my Lord the King come to his servant? Which is, why have you come here to me? And he says, to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Well, he says to David, well, let the Lord the King take whatever he wishes and offer it up. And here are the oxen for the burnt offering. And here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty gives, I give all of this to the king. And he also said that to him, may the Lord your God accept you. So he comes, he is so excited. David wants to worship God. He wants to offer a sacrifice. So he gives him everything he needs to do it. It would be like if at the door this morning, someone came to you and said, I'm glad to see you here this morning. I know we have the special 
legacy offering. Here's $1,000. Put it in the offering. Now, I know people. Most of you go, cool. Well, again, put it on your envelope so you get tax credit. $1,000 gives somebody a hand it to you. So I'm giving this offering. So there, you think, oh, it's a great deal. But the king replied to him, no. I insist on paying for it. And this is the words you need to remember this morning. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. The idea of coming to worship God and it not costing them something, something that is a bit of a sacrifice, something that's got a bit of a sting to it, was abhorrent to David. And it was abhorrent to most of these guys. They understood when you come, you do this out of respect to God. Now, to be very clear, because some people don't get this, you don't do this to earn God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is a gift. You can't earn God's forgiveness. It's not like when you stand before God some days, you're going to look at the ledger and say, well, he gave five more bucks than the other guy. Okay, he gets in, he does it. It's, no, no, that's not what this is about. That has nothing. Salvation is a gift of God that you can accept when you accept Christ into your life. It's a free gift. So then why do we do it? We do it out of thanksgiving back to God. He's blessed us, so we in turn bless others. Jesus said, freely you have received, so now you need to freely give. One of the marks of people of faith who really get this is they start becoming generous people. Generous with their time, generous in helping others, and generous financially to blessing other people's lives. And the idea of coming into worship where there was no giving on their part was, who would do such a thing? Well, most Americans would do such a thing. But not back then. They wouldn't think in those kinds of terms. And he refused to take the money from the guy and insisted that out of his own pocket he paid for everything. And then the offering was received and the plague stopped. So, well, Pastor, how much are you talking about? Well, I have no idea. Some people, a little bit of stinging varies greatly based on where you're at in life. Look at this story that we read in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. I find this entertaining. Jesus is sitting watching how much people give. Just watching. And it says, many rich people threw in large amounts. Look at this. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. This amount is insignificant. It would mean nothing to this treasury, nothing to this temple that is taking the offerings. She throws in two, two pennies, basically, in. And Jesus called to his disciples, said, guys, come here, come here, come here. And they came and says, truly, I tell you, look at this lady. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Why? That stung a bit for her. Maybe she didn't eat anything that night for dinner. That's all she had. You see, the stinging is all variable to a very high degree. Some here can give a very large amount of money, and it would sting a little bit, but that's all it does is sting because you are blessed with a very large amount of money that you control. Others, a few bucks here or there, would sting based on where you're at in life. It does this, and we're not talking about the amount here. No one's squeezing anybody for a set amount. What I'm asking you to do is be generous 
and to sacrifice. Sacrifice stings. When these guys in the Old Testament would sacrifice, it stung. They would bring, they're supposed to bring their best bulls. And so anybody involved in agriculture knows that a prize bull is worth a lot of money. These guys would bring their best sheep, the best of whatever, and offer it up to God. Ouch. Stung them. But then God would bless them and they continue to thrive and thrive. So this isn't about a set amount. It's about willingly giving. Say, now, Pastor, what are you guys going to do with this money? We are going to take it and we're going to send it outward. We're going to use this money as outreach to bless all these people around the world, uh, even in our own communities, as you saw, uh, and basically give it away. <laughs> why, would you, why don't you buy something nicer for the church? Look, there's plenty of time for that. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take it and we're going to give. Uh, this is the season of giving, and we're encouraging you to give that we might give into other people's lives, to invest in eternity. I preached a couple of weeks ago a message entitled, You Can Take It With You. Remember, we're often told, you can't take it with you. You got a lot of money. You can't take it with you. Yeah, you can. By giving it, investing it in others, giving into the kingdom of God. Jesus said to lay up treasures for eternity. Eternity is something most people don't think about. It usually comes to us as a shock. But you know, it's rather foolish. Only a fool ignores what is inevitable. And we should not be foolish. All of us at some point are going to check out of this place. We don't know when. We don't know how. And we're going to step into eternity. You don't want to step in having done nothing. My poor wife Debbie this morning, probably watching, hi baby, uh, is facing death right now. And it's a sobering situation and it hurts and it's painful. But at the same time, we're greatly looking forward to the other side. Why? We've spent all of our lives investing on the other side. She has all her life faithfully given and served into the lives of others and into the kingdom of God. And I promise you, the interest rate on that side is very impressive. There's some huge rewards coming for this little redhead because she's been faithful. She's invested in eternity. Don't be a situation where your version of investing in eternity is, you know, you, you threw in a few coins here and there. You know, be faithful. Learn to sacrifice. No one's saying hurt yourself. No one's saying put your family at risk. No one's saying destroy your retirement accounts. No one's saying any of that. What we're saying is sacrifice. Give and give faithfully. So anyway, I'm going to call for all of our ushers to come forward in our campuses and here to get ready to serve communion. At this point, I usually step off the platform, but I'm going to stick around a little bit with you guys this morning. And uh, we're going to take communion together. And uh, as we're getting ready to do this, uh, we're going to stop for just a moment to pray. And I want to encourage those of you listening to me. If you have never truly surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to do it with me today. We're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat it with me. And if you will mean this sincerely, you can begin to experience God's grace in your life. And it's a wonderful thing. Remember, you can't buy it. Any kind of sacrifice or attending church or all these things that we do, it's not about buying God's love. God already loves you. And he's willing to wash away all your mistakes if you will simply acknowledge them and ask for his forgiveness. It's actually that simple. Unlike every other religion in the world where people are desperately doing things to try and earn God's favor, Christianity is completely the opposite. 
We start out experiencing God's favor right from the get-go. We experience forgiveness right away. We can touch and experience God right here, right now. If you're watching me by television right now, even in your home, you can experience God right now. If you'll stop for a minute, turn your heart toward heaven. I'm going to pray this prayer and ask you to repeat this prayer along with me. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you loved me so much. You went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.